Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Not a great day, however, in terms of the new shooting. Is, isn't it unbelievable? I, I mean, it, it, it can be the opening of almost every show. I mean, honestly, 14 minutes ago in Washington, D.C., a man died and three other people were hurt at a shooting at a funeral home in Northeast D.C., police said. A funeral for a homicide victim had just ended at the Stewart Funeral Home in the 4400 block of Benning Road Northeast. I have no idea where that is in D.C. But uh, about noon, uh, somebody shot people who were standing outside the funeral home. Metropolitan Police Chief uh, Robert Conti said at a news conference, uh, here is uh, what that news conference just moments ago sounded like. Listen. After 12 o'clock uh, p.m., uh, there was a funeral uh, being held at the funeral home behind me. Uh, the funeral had just let out around 12:17 p.m. Uh, a member of the Metropolitan Police Department was uh, in the area very close to where you guys are standing, uh, called out for the sounds of gunshots uh, that had occurred in the area. Uh, our member went to the aid of several people. Uh, so far, uh, there were four individuals who were shot. Uh, these four uh, people, uh, ultimately one of those persons, a male, adult male, is deceased. Uh, in total, there were four adults who were struck by gunfire. Uh, at this point, uh, the Metropolitan Police Department is asking for the community's help. Uh, we're asking for anyone who has information uh, to please call us anonymously at 202-727-9099 or you may text us anonymously at 50411. Uh, at this point, it appears that several of the people who were in the block were specifically targeted. We're unsure why that is. We're unsure why these people were targeted, more, uh, more or less why they were targeted at a funeral. Uh, we don't understand that. Uh, we're looking for the community's help. Our investigators are here. Our partners from the ATF are also here as well, and we will be here uh, working uh, for the next uh, for the next hour or so, trying to figure out uh, what uh, what ex exactly happened here. What exactly is happening here a at a funeral? Uh, you know what it reminds me of is the very beginning of the Iraq War, uh, when it was very much a a civil war where there were Sunnis fighting uh, Shiites and. Uh, various groups within Iraq uh, fighting Americans and fighting uh, other Western troops that were sent there and uh, people would attack each other's funerals they would and uh, certainly that was true in Afghanistan uh, before the Taliban fell and now of course they've returned and uh, and they they've returned and they've been able to impose a ban on women eating outside, uh, which again, uh, you talk about bans that have just been lifted because of uh, Prince uh, Mohammed bin Sultan, uh, but uh, bans in Saudi Arabia on women driving unless they had some male to accompany them, a ban on eating outside, okay, and then you have in Washington DC this. Uh, the uh, chief of police there, again his name is Robert Conte, said an officer who was nearby heard the gunshots and found that four adults had been shot. One man died. The three other victims suffered injuries that were not life-threatening. That's uh, what the police chief said. Several people were standing in the block after the funeral 
and then they were apparently targeted. Uh, the wrong side of some gang division? I could only guess. But police don't yet know why, Conti said. Police haven't identified a suspect, and investigators are still uh, working on talking to witnesses. He called the uh, shooting uh, for a March homicide victim brazen. Uh, that was the shooting of the person who was being buried at the funeral. A little bit confused on that. The uh, uh, There's more uh, about the Louisville shooting. And Connor Sturgeon, um, people had not gotten information about what kind of weapon he had. Well, you won't be surprised. Uh, and uh, some other aspect of, of his killing, his murder of uh, ben, the uh, hope that that new police rookie police officer was shot in the head and had brain surgery. I hope he survives and I hope he does better. But this is, again, the interim police chief in Louisville who had done such a a good job of expressing the sorrow and horror of the, those victims and that shooting and uh, here is a uh, comments from today about one of the truly horrifying aspects of that killing this is a uh, clip three I will say this that the suspect was live streaming and unfortunately, that's, that's tragic to know that that incident was out there and captured. Um, and so we're hopeful that we can have that, that incident removed, that footage removed. Okay, the fact that it was live streaming, he wanted people to feel inspired by what he was doing, the same way that he may have been inspired by watching some other live streaming that, uh, that had occurred at other notorious shootings. Oh, yeah. And how'd he get his gun? And what kind of gun was it? Listen. We have also learned that he purchased the weapon used in this tragic incident on yesterday, on April the 4th. He purchased the weapon legally from one of the local dealerships here in Louisville. Okay, and again, somebody with apparently a history of mental illness and the weapon was, they are reporting, an AR-15. Uh, there's a Pew study, and there's more on this, and it's very important. The number of children and teens killed by gunfire in the United States increased 50% between 2019 and 2021. Now, some of that maybe kids out of school because of the pandemic. Uh, this according to a Pew Research Center analysis of the latest annual mortality statistics from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In 2019, before the coronavirus, uh, there were 1,732 gun deaths among U.S. children and teens under the age of 18. By 2021, that figure had increased to 2,590. That's an amazing increase. The gun death rate among children and teens, a measure that adjusts for changes in the nation's population, rose from 2.4 fatalities per 100,000 uh, young residents in 2019, 
all the way up to 3.4 per 100,000 two years later, a 46% increase. There is more. Uh, there is more. And uh, there is a piece that is devastating under the heading, It is not deaths of despair, it's deaths of children. The grim reality behind America's declining life expectancy, how long a person can expect to live, is one of the most fundamentally revealing facts about a country, writes David Wallace Wells. And here, in the richest country in the world, the answer is not just bleak, but increasingly so. Americans are now dying younger, on average, than they used to. Breaking from all global and historical patterns of predictable improvement, they are dying younger than in any peer country, even accounting for the larger impact of the pandemic here. They are dying younger than in China, in Cuba, younger than the Czech Republic, or Lebanon. You may think this is a matter of 70-year-olds uh, who won't live to see 80. It isn't. Increasingly, the American mortality anomaly which is still growing, is explained not by the middle-aged or elderly, but by deaths of children. Why is that? We will get to that and... Michael Medved show. I mean, uh, just a stunning, stunning series of numbers and revelations and news stories uh, that are breaking, including a news story about Alvin Bragg, the prosecutor on the first uh, 34 um, accusations, the 34 counts that uh, President Trump was indicted for. Uh, that prosecutor is now suing, and he just issued a, a suit which is much more detailed and aggressive than his, his uh, prosecution of Trump, but he launched a suit against Jim Jordan, the House Judiciary Committee chair, uh, claiming that uh, he uh, was interfering with a legitimate prosecution. Uh, we will get to that. That's uh, also breaking news. And not, it seems to me, good for uh, Prosecutor Bragg, good for Congressman Jordan, good for President Trump, or good for the country. It's all a shame. Uh, the, um, we're talking before about the uh, piece by David Wallace Wells about the death of children, which is increasingly the problem of the increasing American mortality rate, about the reduced life expectancy. He writes that increasingly the American mortality anomaly, which is still growing, is explained not by the middle-aged or elderly, but by the deaths of children and teenagers. One in 25 American five-year-olds now won't live to see the age of 40. That's a death rate about four times as high for children growing up as in other wealthy nations. And although the spike in death rates among the young has been dramatic since the beginning of the pandemic, 
Over three pandemic years, COVID-19 was responsible for just 2% of American pediatric and juvenile deaths. Uh, firearms account for almost half of the increase. And what we're talking about here is one out of 25 kids who are five years old today won't make it to 40. It, it is it is un, unreal. If you look at a kindergarten class, a kindergarten class can be 25 kids, right? And you're talking about looking at kindergarten classes all around the country, and every one of those classes, one of those kids is going to be uh, dead. Dead from what? From uh, gunfire, from suicide, from car crashes, and yes, from drug overdoses. Uh, this is this is an appalling situation for our country. There's this also breaking from the Washington Post. Uh, the gunman who killed five people and injured eight more in a, a shooting in downtown Louisville yesterday purchased his AR-15 rifle six days before he carried out the crime. Uh, Connor Sturgeon had contacted at least one person saying that he was suicidal and that he was contemplating doing harm. He also left a note behind. A representative, Morgan McGarvey, Democrat, Kentucky, said in a news conference, answering a follow-up question from a reporter, uh, the interim police chief, uh, Chief uh, Gwyn Villaroel, uh, declined to confirm the existence of the note. Uh, Crowell confirmed that the gunman used an AR-15-style rifle. He said authorities would not provide the other details about the shooting, while the investigation was ongoing. This is, first of all, they, they are now revealing that uh, one out of 20 Americans, which is, again, it's 5%, owns an AR-15 style rifle, which makes it I mean, incredibly clear that uh, it, it's anyone who thinks you are going to ban these weapons and, and get them uh, removed from one out of 20 homes, that, um, that, that it seems to me is going to be a, uh, an undertaking uh, that is enormously difficult. However, there are still people who are buying these guns uh, without interference, despite mental illness. In other words, would it not have been appropriate for uh, Connor Sturgeon, uh, before he walked out six days ago or six days before he um, committed his crime, his pointless murder, which he live-streamed, wouldn't it have been appropriate that if he went into a gun store, there'd be some kind of waiting period or investigation or some kind of check as to his sanity. I, it, is, it is a sad situation that we're in right now. The, the death rate for children here in, in violent and premature deaths, four times the rate as in other wealthy countries, uh, car crashes and accidental drug overdoses 
which the Center for Health uh, Statistics uh, collates along with other accidental deaths as unintentional injuries, accounted for 18.4% of uh, the deaths for children, young people, people below 18. And uh, that, according to a journal of the American Medical Association essay published in March, more than twice as many kids died from poisoning, including drug overdoses, as from COVID-19. More than three times as many died of suicide as of COVID-19. More than four times as many died from homicide. Uh, that's from other deliberate killings by others. And more than five times as many died in car crashes and other transportation accidents, which began increasing during the pandemic after a long, steady decline. Uh, data suggests that... Um, the, it, that the uh, numbers in America for the death of children have been deteriorating for a long time, and uh, they were especially scary, remembering the demographics were the best early warning on the collapse of the USSR. This may feel like hyperbole, but by the most fundamental measures of human flourishing, the United States is moving not forward but backward at unprecedented speed. And now the country's catastrophic mortality anomaly has spread to its children. The new data tell a somewhat different story. In the big picture, opioids still play a large role. Suicide contributes too. But that pattern of elevated middle-aged mortality is giving way to a growing crisis of juvenile death. And so what do we do about it? And what do we do about the threat of war and war games with China? An expert who says we have a 60% chance of fighting China within 10 years. We'll be right back with her. Michael Medved Show. While it feels like warfare on the streets of the United States with the latest uh, shooting today in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, there are war games going on and war games that threaten a military confrontation between the United States and China, which is almost too scary to contemplate. One of the top uh, scholars on what is going on in China and what is going on with a possible confrontation over Taiwan is Dr. Oriana Schuyler Mastro, who is a non-resident senior fellow at American Enterprise Institute, where she focuses on Chinese military and security policy in the Asia Pacific. Uh, she's also a fellow at the Freeman uh, Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford. Uh, Dr. Mastro, thank you for joining us. You've said recently, answering a question for British TV, Sky News, I believe, hmm. that you believe there is a, a likelihood, uh, a 60% chance, you said, that we would be uh, going to, to war with China at some point in the next 10 years. Did I 
get that right? Yes, that's correct. I think uh, after about 2027, it's going to be more likely than not that this war is going to happen. What's really important to keep in mind, however, is why. While we have this uh, increase in Chinese military activity right now around Taiwan, Taiwan's been in the news a lot with President Tsai's uh, transit, the president of Taiwan transited through the United States, and U.S. policy uh, on Taiwan has been center stage. It's not really because of increase of tensions between the United States and China. It's because the Chinese military has been preparing to do this for decades and decades, and they're finally reaching the ability potentially to take Taiwan by force. And so it really is the increased rhetoric in China, the discussion about whether it's time to launch this campaign that has then led to the tensions about Taiwan between the United States and China. Yeah, you've also written about uh, Japan and the need, which it seems to me that uh, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida of, of Japan seems to have gotten your message that they have to do more militarily in terms of equipment and mobilization to prepare for their own role in this kind of confrontation. Uh, do you see some encouragement uh, with Japan taking up more responsibility for security? Of course, the steps that Japan uh, is taking are significant, increasing their defense spending, preparing their own ability to strike China in case uh, that China attacks Japan. And we see improvements in regional posturing across the Indo-Pacific, with Taiwan enhancing its own ability to defend itself. The Philippines agreeing to allow the United States to have more bases there. The problem is, in deterring China, there is a threshold that if we don't meet it, this war still happens. And so with the Japanese, while they're making improvements, most of that is directed towards the defense of Japan. And their politicians are not ready to say that they are willing to use any of that capability. Actually, they say probably that they're unwilling to use that capability uh, to defend Taiwan. And so for this reason, I don't think the steps that they have taken are significant enough to change Beijing's calculus about Taiwan. Uh, today, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, made a, uh, an important comment, it seems to me, uh, where he, he linked uh, the defense of Taiwan, which he considers a crucial national priority, to success in defending Ukraine uh, against uh, some kind of uh, r Russian takeover. Uh, do you think that that general conclusion is correct? Is that part of the the only way to avert the war that you're warning the world about is uh, to persist and to sustain the defense of Ukraine? The bottom line is no. Uh, there is really very little connection between what's happening in Ukraine and what happens across the Taiwan Straits. International politics is very complicated, and leaders in countries, when they're trying to decipher what the United States might or might not do in certain contingencies, they understand that the United States has different interests across the world. In some cases, some things are important to us, and others are not so important. And so it doesn't mean that the United States has to be committed everywhere to the maximum extent. Actually, our allies and partners historically are often not reassured 
by our commitment uh, in other conflicts because it means we have less resources to defend them. So there's always this balance between sort of U.S. capabilities and U.S. commitment and resolve uh, that can, in some cases, convince an adversary like Beijing, okay, the United States is all in on this Taiwan situation. But what we do with Ukraine doesn't really change Beijing's calculus on what we would do with Taiwan because they're just so just completely different scenarios. Well, and also you you indicated you think that the chances of war are greatly maximized after 2027. And I don't uh, speak to any of experts, any colleagues of yours at uh, American Enterprise Institute who believe that the Ukraine war will persist past 2027. Uh, you, you've, colleagues of yours have written at AEI about the need for a Cold War strategy for China. What does that mean? Well, I think what we have to keep in mind uh, is it's very natural to compare what's happening between the United States and China to past historical events. Even the rise of China, scholars and policymakers will look at the rise of past countries to, to try to understand what's happening. Uh, I'm finishing a book right now, however, in which uh, I show that actually to become a great power, China has done things very differently than past countries over the past 25 years. And so in many cases, trying to pursue similar approaches uh, to contend with the rise of China that the United States has pursued in other situations are just not going to work. I mean, first and foremost, because we've already done it once before, China understands that playbook. But on the broader spectrum, if the idea of a quote-unquote Cold War strategy is just mobilizing a whole-of-government effort and motivating the American people with a sense of urgency to improve our own resiliency, our own position, innovation, uh, and role in the world, then absolutely that is something that needs to be done. Uh, if uh, a war were to begin at some point, especially in view of these recent war games and the very direct threats that the Chinese government seem to make. Uh, I'm hoping you can uh, help us understand how um, how that will occur and uh, would it be launched by China? So the bottom line is, if this war happens, it's because China has started it. And China is going to start it when the conditions are most favorable to them. That's why you might think of, you know, many different scenarios. But the one I'm most concerned about is one in which China feels like it can move and take Taiwan very quickly. And the war is over before the United States military can even mobilize an effort to defend Taiwan. In that scenario, it might be hard for a U.S. president to start a war against China when no war is currently ongoing, especially if casualties are relatively minimal on the island of, of Taiwan. And so that's the main scenario I think we need to worry about and deter. China doesn't want to fight a long war against the United States. That's not the one that they plan on starting, so that doesn't mean we won't get there. Um, but that's what the United States needs to do, is show China this cannot be easy and it cannot be quick. Uh, Dr. Oriana Schuyler Mastro of American Enterprise Institute, appreciate your time and uh, your sobering but, uh, but very wise words. Uh, you can read some of her most recent pieces that are posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. We will be right back 
with more dangers to discern. Coming up on the Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. It's, it's dangerous for America. It's dangerous for the world. This is the Michael Medved And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, I mentioned to uh, uh, Dr. Mastro, who we just had on the air, that uh, Kevin McCarthy had made a, a strong and it seems to me very welcome statement today about a support for American continued aid and partnership with Ukraine. And uh, here is what the Speaker of the House had to say. And he was saying it not just to Americans, not just to Republicans, not just his constituents, but saying it to the Russians and, yes, the Ukrainians as well. Uh, listen to the Speaker of the House, clip five. I think what's happening in Ukraine is an atrocity. And I think Ukraine, not just Ukraine, the world has to win there. What Russia has done is wrong. In a phrase that I use a blank check, I use that for anything. I look at every dollar uh, of taxpayers that we would use. But the one thing I know that in Ukraine, we have to win because it also would uh, save Taiwan at the same time. Uh, and uh, concerning what is going on in Taiwan, uh, with a, uh, some of the most elaborate war games that seem to actually predict or anticipate some kind of lightning strike by the very formidable Chinese forces against the island nation of Taiwan. This is uh, uh, David Ignatius on MSNBC talking to Morning Joe about what uh, China's main foreign policy goal seems to be. Uh, listen, clip one. Chinese have had as a principal foreign policy goal splitting the United States from Europe. That They've worked hard at it for, for several years. Macron's visit is the most tangible evidence that, yes, they can peel off a prominent American ally and get Macron to say friendly things. At the same time, on, on this trip, the European Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, was taking a quite different line, much less friendly toward Beijing, much more skeptical of Chinese goals. So, Yeah, so um, all of this is going on at the same time. They are trying to enhance their own prestige and influence and association with other nations by uh, trying to push uh, use, using French power to uh, urge uh, China and uh, Russia to actually uh, put an end to the war in Ukraine, which means what? Which means basically... Uh, uh, pushing the Ukrainians to give up uh, substantial amounts of their own territory, of their own national territory. There, there is also the war at home, if you want. I mean, and it's not a, a real war, and it's not about real issues, but it's a real disaster, which is the New York Times is reporting that a the Manhattan District Attorney, uh, the now famous suddenly... Alvin Bragg, the same uh, prosecutor who brought the indictment against President Trump with the 34 counts on the hush money issue, 
that Manhattan district attorney today sued uh, Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, one of the members of Congress who was closest to President Trump, in an extraordinary step intended to keep congressional Republicans from interfering in the Manhattan district attorney's a criminal case against former President Donald J. Trump. It is a 50-page suit, which means that it's, it's longer than the uh, fact sheets, statement of facts, or the indictment that was issued against President Trump. The 50-page suit, which was filed in federal court in the Southern District of New York, accuses Congressman Jordan of a brazen and unconstitutional attack on the prosecution of Mr. Trump and a transparent campaign to intimidate and attack the district attorney, Alvin L. Bragg. Mr. Bragg last week unveiled 34 felony charges against President Trump that stem from the former president's attempts to cover up a potential sex scandal involved uh, during and after the 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, the the reason that I said so clearly that, that this is a disaster is because we have an election coming up. And really, do we want the election to have as its primary focus the alleged criminal activity of a former president? or controversies that are, in in this case, the controversy is, is old already. The statute of limitations had worn out for felony charges, which is why they have to use that special means of bumping up misdemeanor charges to a felony charge. Uh, the the, the in, entire idea that we are going to be focused for the next two years on uh, charges against Donald Trump and various grievances that Donald Trump has experienced where he wants to fight back. Uh, the, the, the whole idea about dealing with that rather than dealing with the fact that we have this desperately increasing uh, decline, an accelerating decline in our life expectancy because our kids are getting killed in drug addictions and in suicides and in uh, and in homicides uh, we, instead of dealing with that instead of dealing with the drug overdoses that we're experiencing instead of dealing with uh, the uh, the dangers from uh, China which is an imperialist power and Russia, which is an imperialist power, and Iran, which is accelerating its ability to create nuclear weapons, instead of that, we seem to be wrapped up with um, old Trump scandals. And it's, it's both sides that seem to be uh, just so drawn to those scandals. They're also drawn to issues like the uh, marketing of Bud's Light uh, and uh, marketing Bud's Light by emphasizing transgenderism. But guess what? Uh, there is a, a powerful piece that has gotten a great deal of attention and actually I think deserves that attention 
a powerful piece that appeared in the New York Times by a very prominent biologist who uh, explains why, whether you like it or not, sex is binary. In, a, in an effort to confuse the issue, writes Colin Wright, uh, he writes that uh, gender ideologues cite rare, ambiguous intersex cases. How rare are they really? We'll speak to him coming up on the Medved Show. We'll also speak about a new bomb uh, that seems set to get off and threatens the entire future of humanity. Remember the population bomb that uh, Paul Ehrlich wrote about way back in the 70s? There is now a depopulation bomb. And uh, we will uh, be dealing with that also with uh, Joel Kotkin joining us later on this show. And uh, is there such a thing as homeless by choice? And what about the ongoing struggle over uh, abortifacient drugs? Is it a, a drug that has been commonly used all around the country? and that has actually greatly reduced the number of surgical abortions and has been used safe, safely and approved virtually everywhere. Is that now because of one judge's decision in Texas going to have to go to the Supreme Court for resolution? Well, they, there's that issue as well. And how is the issue of abortion working for Republicans who will be not only running for president, but in a range, in a very broad range of other issues. We will be getting to, to that as well on the Michael Medved Show. Uh, and that's after we speak to Professor Colin Wright, who's an evolutionary biologist, an advisor for the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine, and founding editor of Reality's Last Stand, and also a fellow of the Manhattan Institute. Uh, extraordinarily important to get uh, the perspective correctly. Uh, remember when they asked uh, uh, Katenji Brown-Jackson during her confirmation hearing, how would you define woman? And uh, she said, well, I, I can't really do that. I'm not a biologist. Uh, Colin Wright is and he'll help with those definitions coming up in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Sign up today for the free Medved newsletter with new columns, commentaries, and movie reviews. Go to michaelmedved.com.